Hi, this is Mike Warner from Work Hard, Playlist Hard. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard to pay the bills, some artists are writing music directly for fans. For Music Tech Solutions, the vinyl resurgence is understated. Another from Billboard, in streaming-centric industry, all stakeholders must come to the table for lasting change. And from Polestar, the future is now. Major tours are here. Woohoo! This and more. This is episode 84 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Sit back, buckle in, because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, happy Saturday, Jay. So good to see you, my friend. So uh, good to see so you. Nice day outside here in sunny Southern California. Uh, it's beautiful. Feels like spring has has arrived, and it's kind of exciting for me. It's not that not like we suffer through winter weather, really. But no, not really. You know, no, exactly. Not really. We're, but it's good to have warmer weather and longer days. I am digging yeah. it. It's more time to get caught up on this wacky, wacky new music business. Oh, it's so much crazy. going on. Before we kick it off, though, I wanted to just mention that in your morning coffee, the newsletter this week, the lead story. Um, I found online and I read it and it was amazing. It was from the Financial Times and I thought, wow, that's kind of cool because usually the articles from the Financial Times are behind a, a paywall and I, I don't subscribe to the Financial Times, although I probably should. Um, so I put it in your morning coffee and as soon as I sent it out, somebody uh, sent me a note saying, oh man, I really wanted to read that, but it's behind the paywall. And I went, what? No, it's not. And I went to it and well, now it is. So uh, the, <laughs> the headline it. was Spotify draws up plans to join NFT digital collectibles craze. And again, that's from the financial times. And, you know, you and I talk about NFTs from time to time, and we don't we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. But I did think it was interesting that they're finally, you know, uh, talking about some of these DSPs uh, like Spotify getting into non fungible tokens. So more to come. But uh, I apologize that that one slipped behind the paywall. It happens. But but just for my own curiosity. So obviously Spotify owns none of the music that they they distribute um 
so if they get involved in NFTs, is that going to be as a service for artists that have uploaded their music to the to the to the to the service? Yeah, that's that's the assumption right now is because they wouldn't own the rights, they will partner with a rights holder um, mm-hmm. or one of these really cool partners, you know, like one of, you know, some of these uh, NFT uh, companies. One of is owned by Quincy Jones uh, um, companies. And it's interesting because they produce kind of green NFTs, you know, mm-hmm. without, uh, you know, with a uh, not the heavy carbon footprint, as you probably know, you know, NFTs take a, a tremendous amount of energy to create. And companies like one of are finding ways to create those without that uh, carbon footprint. And, uh, you know, they're uh, working with some of the biggest companies, you know, uh, on the planet. So. It remains to be seen, like what these offers will be, um, but I would imagine um, it's going to be a part of a lot of these new release uh, cycles. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of our artists and managers right now are already uh, putting NFTs um, as part of their offering when they go into a release cycle. And just for those of you that don't know, you know, you can Google this stuff, but it's really it's a digital collectible. Uh, think of it as like a baseball card. You know, that piece of cardboard isn't worth much. But um, if you have that collectible and it's an original, and the reason an NFT is an original is because it can be proved on the uh, blockchain that you own uh, that original one. So anyway, more to be uh, uh, talked about. But yeah, Spotify is uh, going to be one of the first, uh, as far as the DSPs, to join that uh, digital collectibles craze. Woohoo. By the way, big thanks to Mike Warner for giving us the intro. Today. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Let's give him a quick little plug. I, I, Mike is a friend of mine. Um, I, I really dig this guy. He's um, one of those guys that's helping the uh, independent artists, and he has a book called Work Hard, Playlist Hard. And the first version was really about, you know, user-curated playlists primarily, um, whereas the new version uh, of the book, um, his second uh, edition, it has all of the different platforms and how best to optimize for them. You know, it's not trickery or gaming the system. It's really just common sense and optimization. Um, I was honored to um, write a few little uh, chapters in that book uh, with uh, with Mike, um, but he he wrote ninety nine point nine percent of it, and it's <laughs> it's my kind of go to guide, and I I share it with clients and friends. It's just one of the best resources, you know, there's that, you know, the Donald Passman book, you know, mm-hmm. there's a few of there's these a, things that everybody should have. A handful of must reads. And I've turned that so many different artists and friends of mine that, uh, that are involved in releasing music. I have said, you've got to read this one. Super, yeah. super important. Great, great read. So, so thank you for the, the way, intro there, uh, Mike. Of, of course. We certainly appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, by the way, the guy that I get to talk with every week is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is the co-founder of music marketing and strategy company, A Label Logic, creator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, and a former executive with universities, with Universal, Sony, <laughs> and Warner Music Groups. And if you get a few drinks in him, uh, that guy can sing some show tunes, let me tell you. <laughs> And uh, this this uh, comedian alongside of me is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yep, can't hold a job, couldn't hold a job for crying out loud, in lots of different places. And Jay, without our sponsors, we would be like helpless. 
and so it's so nice to have sponsors when we have yeah. this put this show on and I want to big a big shout out to them including the Music Business Association the 4-day Music Biz 2022 conference agenda has just been announced taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in lovely Nashville along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit hashtag, hashtag #nextgennow DSP workshops and Brand Summit to name just a few you'll find timely new additions for 2022 including conversations on NFTs as we've been talking about gaming and immersive music experiences catalog acquisitions and much much more jump over to musicbiz.org for yeah. more information and jay gilbert will be there i will be there it's going to be a fantastic conference um we've had the last two i believe um you know remotely via zoom and uh, it's going to be great to see everybody again so um, don't miss it may 9th through 12th in nashville and- and hopefully you'll beat the the humidity in Nashville because yeah. it, 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 it should just be lovely. That it just ruins my hair. Um, your morning coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in: hosting and a custom domain name. Dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch, commission-free, that's the key, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days, just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, Morning Coffee. And you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code morning coffee. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends in technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Uh, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Uh, Bands in Town. Over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform, connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Indeed. So big thanks to our friends at Music Business, the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Couldn't do it without you We all. appreciate so, it. 1,000 thank yous. And Jay, what do you say we jump into Let's our do it. stories? Yes, indeed. I'm going to get my little art, my little desktop organized here. There you here. go. This, this <laughs> so, first one is from Billboard, uh, yes, written indeed. by uh, Chris Egertson. And the headline is Songs for Sale. To pay the bills, some artists are writing music directly for fans. And as, as the article points out, in many ways, this is kind of back to the future, right? It's, yeah. It, this, you know, if you if you go back to well before antiquity or well before recorded music, at least, uh, this was kind of the way it worked. A lot of very famous composers, you know, they would have of people wealthy people that would support them and pay for their music to be written. And now it's <laughs> for a variety of reasons. It's coming back. Members of Stars, Everclear, and other acts are turning to the ages-old commissioning model for additional revenue. Yeah, and um, and we've been deep into this for years. Uh, This may be new to a lot of people, but it's certainly not new uh, to us. For example, a couple of years ago, um, 
we were working a couple of releases from the band the licorice quartet mm-hmm. and those fans of bands like jellyfish and imperial drag and you know moog cookbook and some of that will know you know eric dover tim smith and roger joseph manning jr uh, and uh They've got kind of this uh, amazing uh, fan base uh, following. Anyway, when we launched their website and launched their releases, we offered exactly what they're talking about. So they would perform or record on your song for $350. Or they'll record your favorite song for you, right, for $750. And a couple of other ones, um, they will co-write a song with you uh, like over Zoom, like actually, you could write a song with one of these guys, which would be amazing, right? Gosh, um, for totally cool. seven hundred and fifty dollars, and or they will uh, write a song for you for two hundred and fifty dollars. And I actually uh, took them up on this. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you, but no. um, I I wanted to record this song for my wife. Um, it was written by Matt Bissonette called "When I Didn't Know Your Name." And Matt is Elton John's bass player, a uh, mm-hmm. dear friend of mine, fantastic producer, engineer, bass player, songwriter. His brother is Greg Bissonette, you know, from Ringo Starr and from uh, David Lee Roth. Anyway, long story short, um, my dear friends, uh, you know, like Eric Dover played the guitar part. Um, Matt kind of engineered and helped do the harmony vocals with me. And the Accidentals played the cello and violin. And I got to record this song pretty much remotely, although Matt and I did get together and give it to uh, my wife. So it's awesome. it's kind of like, you know, when you talk about Cameo and Thrills.co UK or, you know, some of those places where you can get a shout out video from, you know, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld or, or whoever. Right. Some of those <laughs> things, which I did for my dad, by the way. Um so it kind of winds back down to what we're talking about in this story. These commissions, you know, bands have been doing this. Like I said, the Licorice Quartet has been doing this. Um, but now I think it's becoming a little bit more mainstream and artists are finding that you can make decent money. Um, the the first one here, they, they talk about um, the, uh, the indie band Stars. And they they started these song commissions for a thousand dollars each, and sold seventy of them right off the bat. Now I don't have a calculator handy, <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty soon you're talking about some money. Right. As he said, the, the 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 one of the guys and one of the one of the people in the band, I think his name is Torquil Torquil Campbell. I'm yes. not sure if that's the correct. I think that's right. Yeah, he said it's been insane. I haven't had response to anything like this in years. And he, like you said, he's record, received seventy commissions to date. I'm sort of trying to figure out why, in a way. Really, all I said was that I was available to hire to do to what to do what I do for a living, but that seems to have blown people's minds. <laughs> but you but, know, especially if you grew up in an era like we did, where artists were unobtainable, they yep. were unreachable. They lived on yep. some other planet, and it, they they didn't go to the same grocery store as you did. They were just they were they were somewhere else. Can you so imagine growing up if you could have reached out to you know oh. Queen or you know Elton John or you know, whoever your, your favorite band was growing up and actually number one, got in touch with them. And number two, um, were able to collaborate with them. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, yeah. Un- unimaginable, unimaginable. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Tor- 
Torquil, or Torquil, uh, he said, uh, COVID-19 is only the most recent and acute setback for independent acts, some of whom have argued that streaming revenue alone doesn't provide enough money to pay the bills. That reality, coupled with the loss of earnings from touring, has led him and several other artists to turn to the centuries-old model of individual song commissions, and some are seeing substantial returns. Yeah. You gotta love that. A couple of artists you may recall, just a little bit before Kiss and Bad Company, all those bands came out. There was there was Handel and Bach, and both of them relied on the generosity of era of the uh, aristocratic yes. patrons to produce some of the greatest works, of course, of the Baroque period. So, yeah, like you were referencing earlier, this is not a new thing. It's it's a very very old thing. But I think streaming and the pandemic were the perfect storm. Streaming because of the low revenue compared to physical goods for some of these artists they need to get revenue some way right Mm -hmm. as you pointed out earlier it's the music business you know and you should be uh uh, treating it as such but this is such a great way i file this under experiences and i've been watching artists take these experiences and get really creative with them where they'll you know um, play D D with you they will knit you a scarf they will you know, uh, handwritten lyrics. And there's all sorts of great things that um, not just my clients, but I'm seeing um, other artists do that I find really, really great, really creative. And listen, the the fans love this. And as you can tell by this article, they can make some serious money. Yes. Well, it's, it's really kind of the breaking down of the of the walls of the barriers because technology allows it now. You can have that direct communication and connection to yeah. to artists and artists to fans, and it really is. It's just kind of the way it's going. A good friend of mine is a who's a booking agent for for tours. You know, a lot of there's a lot of these rock and roll cruises, and his acts love to go on those and and to work the or work and play on them. And you know, it's a chance if if you're a member if if you're on those cruises, you know, they're just walking around and you can go buy them a drink. You can kind of hang out and chat with them. And for them, they bring their families and they kind of kick back. They're they're out on this cruise for four or five days, and it's very relaxing for them. And it's you know they make good money. And, yeah, and they're typically you know, different types of performances. Like, yes, you know. The Kiss Cruise, they'll do kind of an acoustic set. They'll do the full, you know, makeup and costume set. You know, Rick Springfield did one where he would, you know, go to the piano in the bar and people would just surround him, you know, and he'd take requests or, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's it's absolutely amazing, uh, you know, that you you have that sort of access now with some of these. But you don't have to be, you know, uh, of that level you just have to have some fans. Um, it doesn't have to be a, a large fan base. You know, they talk again about that same band, um, uh, Stars, and the other, uh, another uh, member, uh, Amy Milan. Uh, she put out a call for song commissions on Twitter uh, four days after you know Campbell did, and the singer is charging a thousand dollars for an individual song and two thousand uh, dollars for a duo uh, with Campbell. Um, so she's collaborating on select kind of commissions and uh you know that's generating for some of these artists it's generating more money than they would make if they were touring because you're not renting the van paying for the high gas prices and and all of that um earlier in the pandemic that that group we were talking about stars um launched a patreon page that's brought in six figures that's 
amazing. Um, membership five bucks a month, five yeah, bucks a is, month, right? Yeah, and that would allow fans to look inside the creation of their their new album. And we've talked about uh, on this podcast before platforms like Twitch, um, mm-hmm. which you can generate a lot of revenue from. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of Jay Gregory on uh, on Twitch, and over the pandemic, I watched him record his new album and interacted with him while he's recording that album. Right. It was surreal uh, to see these tracks being laid down and then, oh, hey, Jay's in the chat. Hey, how's it going? You know, that sort of thing. It really felt like I was visiting the studio to see like you record with some friends and I could just, you know, walk in the control booth and everybody waves and you carry on with your business. So these uh, commissioned songs you know, things like what I just talked about with Jay Gregory, with, you know, things like Cameo, these experiences. It's it's a whole new world. It is. And, is the, and they mentioned a band, The Steel Wheels, that started offering covers for 300 bucks, original songs for 450 They have since bumped that up for an original track to 1500 But as they said, uh, the biggest benefit for us was that it kept us engaged and it kept us creative. And as a band, it kept us alive. Yeah. He said, the adding that the group actually grew musically because of the project. And so, you know, you got to love that. I think it's, it's again, it's kind of the, the opportunities that have, have shown themselves given the technology and the things that are going on in the economy as a whole yeah. makes all of these things doable and possible right. and potentially very profitable. Yeah, and there's some new um, platforms that are emerging to help artists do this. We had one uh, downright uh, that they talk about in this article. We mm-hmm. had them on the Music Biz Weekly podcast, but there are other what they call song shops, you know, like Downright, Song Finch, Song Glorious. You know, um, they they say in this article that Downright is the most ambitious. Um, it allows musicians to set their own prices, though it sets a floor to keep acts from undercutting each other. And, you know, it includes uh, publishing and distribution functions, you know, to help the songs have a second life beyond the commission itself. So this is kind of this new uh, ecosystem uh, where you can commission a song, but then it could be the band's new single sure absolutely and you know like we've also mentioned in the past you know b- back when uh, big champagne first came out that there was a lot of information that was coming out you know especially with, with, with as an artist sometimes you you fall in love with certain songs but you really have no idea of what would be what's what tracks are, are the most important to your fan base that's and right sometimes, sometimes you're super off off, completely uh, most off times, base most times most I, times i exactly, find that right. you know you fall in love with a song and then you go to the team and they're like, no, it's, it's, it's got to be this other song. And yeah, to your point with yeah, Big yeah, Champagne, yeah. they could look at the data and it surprised people. They're like, you shouldn't totally. be putting that song out. Everybody's resonating with this other one. Right. And so this, again, this, this kind of direct relationship with your fans, it also gives you very important feedback as to what songs are resonating with them. And like you said, it's, it's oftentimes they are way off base. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of great things coming out of this and it's, um, yeah. songs for sale, great article and worth yep. checking out because yeah. it's, it's, it's out there and it's happening. And if you're on it and or if you're representing or working with artists, it should be yet another arrow in your quiver. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this article is, you know, we were talking about that company Downright, you know, that platform, mm-hmm. and there are others, but they've nearly doubled their artist count. Um, it was about 100. Now it's 200. And they have, you know, they've got some names in there already, you know, Filter Singer, Richard Patrick, 
um, uh, Filter's guitarist, uh, Johnny Radke. Um, they've got someone from Oza Motley, you know, Everclear. It's, it's becoming a thing. So if you're an artist, you may want to look into some of these platforms and look into if you have the bandwidth to uh, generate some revenue on potentially, you know, commissioning songs, whether it's a cover, original, co-write. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Well, and I think the, the a great thing you just said is, and if you have the bandwidth, you know, it's again, it's another thing, another uh, another opportunity potentially, if as an artist. But there are so many things out there, you really do have to kind of look at all of them and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these three or these six or whatever it is, because it can. It's it's kind of hard to do time management sometimes with all of the opportunities out there. Right. So, you know, keep that in mind as well. A really interesting article. This from uh, for Music Tech Solutions, our second article we're talking about. The vinyl resurgence is understated. Yeah, written by uh, our friend Chris Castle, uh, by the way. Indeed, Chris Castle. Uh, he's an attorney. He's a writer. He's, he's, he's just a great dude. guy. I, I read yeah. so much of what he writes, and I've had the pleasure to get to know him over the last uh, few years. Um, and he's helped me to understand um, kind of the economics of streaming. Um, he's one of the guys that is shouting from the rooftops about, you know, the copyright royalty board. And, and we'll get into that in a, in a second here. Um, but before we get into this piece, um, there's a video that accompanies it. Um, and it's from Jack White. Um, and it's called A Plea to the Three Major Labels from Jack White. Let's let's let that roll because that's going to kind of set the stage for yeah. this piece. It's only a minute, so so here we go right now. This is Third Man Pressing, Third Man Records pressing plant that I built and opened in 2017 using my own money. It's 2022 now, and it's no longer a fad. Vinyl records have exploded in the last decade, and their demand is incredibly high. A small punk band can't get their record for eight to ten months. And I now ask the major labels, Warner Brothers, Universal, and Sony, to finally build your own pressing plants again. As the MC5 once said, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Thank you. So, as, he, as, as, mm-hmm. well, as Chris points out in the article, he says, the elephant in the room of the discussion about the vinyl resurgence is that we really don't have any idea what the vinyl sales would be because demand is not being met by supply. And so, you know, one of the things Jack is saying as well to the majors is, come on, guys, kick it in and let's see, let, let's get... And and his point, of course, about you know, there's a lot of of you know small punk bands that they just can't get, they can't take advantage of the timing of a new right. release to have a vinyl version because it's a ten month whatever the whatever the delay is in terms of getting in the supply chain to get it get it manufactured. It's a right. real challenge. Right. And last week we talked about the the state of the business in the United States and how vinyl is growing, and as you so eloquently pointed out. That's not a real number because it's this number based on the supply chain problems and the lack of capacity uh, and materials uh, for creating vinyl. And so if, and that's what this uh, points out, puts a fine point on what you said, which is if we didn't have those issues, imagine what those numbers could have been the last few years. Uh, Double? I don't know. But it would have been a lot more. 
Yeah, exactly. As Chris points out in the article, he says, when a major label abandons a configuration, it's not really abandoned. It gets outsourced to an independent, uh, and as long as there is there are manufacturing capacity in the system, that independent still takes orders and fulfills those orders by using that manufacturing capacity. The titles still appear in the sales book. Orders get taken and returns accommodated. Um, but he said major labels also hand off vinyl manufacturing to their special markets division. Mm-hmm. And he says, for example, if you've ever tried to get vinyl manufactured in a limited run for venue sales on a major label artist or a former major label artist, you'll get put through the bureaucratic torture gauntlet for the privilege of paying top dollar on a product that the label will have nothing to do with selling. Right. And we're, we've been around special markets for a long, long time. And this was the group, you know, back in the old music business, if you were... Bed Bath and Beyond, and you wanted to create some sort of a vinyl, or I'm sorry, not a vinyl package, like a CD with with a collection of songs for your customers, that went through special markets, and yeah. that's always been sort of an unheralded and I wouldn't say secret, but but a, a part of the business that most people don't think about or really even know right. about, right? And you know, if you go to, you know, if you've ever made a drive across the country and you've stopped at a truck stop and you see these like in the CD era, like $5 CDs, those were done by these special markets groups of the major labels. And it's it's big money. It is. Know, and it always has been. Um, but, you know, as I'm reading this, and we talked a little bit about this last week, about the the profits uh, of the major labels currently. And, and we were discussing kind of how things have changed and, and wondering you know, how many fewer people actually work for labels these days? And 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 all of the sales offices are essentially gone. And a lot of the infrastructure that, that major labels used to have to carry to be a major label, they have gotten rid of. Yeah. And that includes manufacturing. And I think... I, I love that Jack is pleading for them to to kind of you know come back and and come back into vinyl manufacturing. I don't think they're going to. You know, it's a headache. And I think my experience working for major labels over the years, because remember we were both involved in new formats in the early two thousands and super audio CDs and DVD SACD, audios and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And and at the end of the day, major labels. They don't want to do lots of things. They want to do one thing. <laughs> and yeah. right now, the one thing is streaming. Yeah, and that is that is a lot easier on infrastructure. And you know, is somebody with a spreadsheet at the at the top, you know, in the in the home office for the major labels has maybe even done the calculations and said, well, okay, if we bring back vinyl manufacturing, what is that? What is the return on that investment? Yeah, but like this article I, points out, the majors aren't really hurting as much as the indies because the majors can afford to uh, pre-buy capacity in Mm -hmm. these uh, pressing facilities uh, globally. But one of the things I was thinking about after reading this piece was you had pointed out to me a year or two ago that, you know, to make a a vinyl album, you know, that's a petroleum product. And Mm -hmm. with the uh, astronomical price of gas right now, I'm wondering if those expenses are going to hit uh, the vinyl industry uh, hard as well. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I'm looking at I uh, uh, the doing redoing my driveway. 
you know, I need to redo my asphalt driveway. And I'm I'm afraid to get another quote because I know it's just gone through the roof because of petroleum prices. And certainly that's going to affect vinyl manufacturing without yeah. a doubt. So yeah. it's, it's you know, it, the prices are already high for vinyl. They're going to get higher, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we definitely I don't need know. more capacity. And, you know, there are... Uh, some new companies popping up. They talk about in this article, this company called Gold Rush Vinyl in Austin. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about Crates, Q-R-A-T-E-S, yep. Crates uh, out of Tokyo that's doing some cool things with vinyl production, kind of DIY vinyl production. You know, but Chris says in this piece, you know, that they also need to clean up the sales and distribution channel so that it's easy for record stores to actually get stock, which is frankly a joke. And yeah. he's he's not wrong. Was it that uh, direct shot, you know, all the issues they've had with fulfillment, you know, the majors kind of went in together on one kind of uh, logistics fulfillment solution mm-hmm. that just has been a nightmare for indie retailers not being able to get stock uh, to the stores. And then you couple that with the problems with manufacturing and capacity. It's There's a lot of dollars being left on the table. And I think that's what Jack White is saying to these majors is like, you know, I've got, you know, I've got my vinyl plant. And he was way ahead of the curve, you know, on, mm-hmm. on getting his own vinyl plant. But I don't think he's wrong. I think the majors, you know, vinyl's not going away anytime soon. Um, in fact, the sales, as we've pointed out, is growing. It's a premium product. It's necessary. Um, maybe it's time for the majors to invest back. You know, they had these facilities before. They got rid of them. Maybe now it's time to uh, go back and rebuild some of these facilities to meet that demand. I'd love to think they would. Um, I just don't think they will. Um, I, I, I hope I'm proven wrong on that. But boy, I just, you know, I, I, I just... You know, we, we don't like to deal, or we, the major labels, I think historically, really don't like to deal in what is still niche products. Um, and, you know, it's a fairly substantial ramp up in investment if they want to get back into it. And to say nothing of the fact that, you know, that brain trust, the people that did it in the old days, they're out of the picture. So you also have to train people. And it is, it is a pretty considerable heavy lift i think for them to make that decision to get back into it especially no you're right especially compared to digital music which is Mm -hmm. you know almost 85 percent of the business and that infrastructure there were some growing pains there it's not as simple as people think it is but now that those xml feeds are in place and they're delivering this uh, wonderful music and metadata to the dsps they've kind of got this process in place um, there's a lot more profit there And I think you're absolutely right, which leads me to think that some enterprising uh, funded person will do, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of what we were talking about um, with some of the like gold rush and crates is uh, maybe there's someone who is just going to take matters into their own hands and build a massive uh, uh, vinyl and maybe even cassette, who knows, but certainly vinyl uh, pressing plant. Without a doubt. Well, an interesting and important read because, um, and, and kudos to Chris Castle for bringing up a lot of very important points. So do check it out. And it's uh, at least right now, the demand is still sky high and the supply is low. And we all know what happens to prices when that happens. Yes. So. 
Yes, sir. <sighs> so true, so true. All right, the next article, Jay, is from Billboard, of course, another article from Billboard, and uh, the title is, In a streaming-centric industry, all stakeholders must come to the table for lasting change. Yeah, yeah, and, this is uh, a guest column um, written by uh, Dima uh, Chief, um, if you don't know what DEMA is, it's a digital media association. DEMA basically represents the digital service providers, you know, like Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer. And uh, Garrett um, Levin is their CEO. And uh, I know Garrett. Um, he's uh, He's been on the Music Biz Weekly podcast. Um, really deliberate and insightful guy. And, uh, you know, he's... This is kind of his guest column for for Billboard, you know, about this streaming industry and that, look, there's people that are complaining about the payouts um, and about, you know, how it's structured. But he's basically the the voice of reason that's saying, let's all get to the table and and talk through these things. As he points out, as streaming has become the preferred way for fans to listen to music. The music industry has experienced year after year of healthy financial growth. That is true. Over a half a billion streaming subscribers worldwide now form the heart of this resurgent industry. Fans are engaging with music in ways never before possible and paying for it month after month via subscription fees and uh, you know, robust growth of once nascent digital audio advertising. So... It's it's interesting. There's there's a lot more revenue being generated, but it's this is really less about the growth. We know it's growing, you know, nearly you know twenty eight percent year over year, um, for you know some of these DSPs that they they talk about here because um, Universal and Warner don't break down their their publishing revenue specific to streaming, um, but there's a lot of revenue that you and I have been talking about. Um, week after week. And I think it's important to kind of take a look at how that's, that's split up. And, you know, we've, we always talk about the CRB, the copyright royalty board, you know, mm -hmm. that's that three judge panel that sets the rates that DSPs pay publishers, which equals songwriters, right? Um, CRB three that's in place right now was passed at, well, it wasn't passed. It was agreed to at 15.1%, but it's still around 10%. It, it it's still being, uh, you know, Spotify and Amazon are still appealing the 15.1% uh, that DSPs would pay out. Um, and that has, has not been resolved to the best of my knowledge. So, you know, the NMPA, the National Music Publishers Association, they want DSPs to pay more. DSPs want to pay less. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the DSPs are proposing dropping that songwriter, uh, you know, that publishing percentage from 15.1 to 10%, where it's currently kind of locked, the NP, uh, the NMPA is proposing moving that to 20%, right? So, you know, where would that increased money to songwriters come from? You know, the NMPA claims that the uh, DSPs can and should pay more um, versus the rights holders, which is typically the label. And I think that's really at the heart of this article is that people are upset and streaming is being called, you know, uh, the death of the music industry as well, as well as a savior of the music industry. Right. And as he says, you know, we've seen an increasing level of frustration from songwriters and artists 
about how streaming is impacting them on an individual level. As the overall revenues and royalties have increased massively, the frustration have grown louder. Frustrations. The unavoidable conclusion is that the writers and artists concerned cannot be solved simply through more streaming royalties paid to the largest rights holders. And that's really what he's also talking about is, you know, the, the people that are really... Uh, uh, getting the the revenue, you know, it's the big artists. They are taking, they are very happy with streaming, but it's these these lower level artists that are not. And he yeah. says ultimately that while streaming is driving industry growth, it is neither the cause nor the solution to all the music industry's challenges. In the conversation about how to properly value songwriters, songwriters and artists, it isn't wrong to ask that streaming services come to the table. We stand ready to be part a part of those conversations with all interested parties. He says, together we should further explore alternative payment models such as user-centric, tackle ongoing data challenges that stymie effective and accurate royalty payments, yep. and reconsider contracts premised on a pre-streaming industry. And he says, finally, we should look at how we value the creation of music separate from its consumption. And that's an important thing. We should look at how we value the creation of music separate from its consumption while recognizing that success in this industry has never been guaranteed. And that is another very important point. Yes. Right? Just because you make music doesn't mean you are guaranteed to that's quit right. your job and enjoy a, a life where that is your principal income. That's right. You know, I, I, I like the line that music is who you are, not what you do. It's like mm -hmm. you, you really don't have a choice. But he also, you know, by bringing that up, it, it makes you think about, you know, there's more than just the DSP payout. And he just described some of that. But there's also you have to look at the value of the song. And, yes. and you and I talk about this because it's really important. DSPs gain stock value that songwriters don't participate in. They also Correct. gain value in, in other ways. For example, you know, Amazon has Prime memberships. Spotify has podcasts, merch, uh, you know, with um, um, Shopify, and they have that car thing. Apple has their product ecosystem, you know, devices, Apple Fitness, you know, all of that stuff. So the value of the song is a little bit more complex than just that streaming payout. But to, to point the finger at streaming, is is a little unfair because it, there's so much good that comes from it, um, and we need to be aware of that, but also fix the things that are broken. So some of the things that are good about it is it's really upended the traditional music industry um, economics. You know, it's led to you know record labels, publishers, and you know other well capitalized entities like you know KKR and Hypnosis and Primary Wave to invest billions in catalog you know, that prior to streaming were wildly popular, but had seen their earning potential really diminish as their sales receded. Streaming mm -hmm. has turned those catalogs into a highly sought after asset class, um, a credit to both their incredible artistic contributions and the economic realities of streaming. And I think that's, that's really important to note. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Garrett ends it by saying, you know, everything must be on the table, and everybody must be at the table. Failure to approach these issues collectively and comprehensively will per per perpetrate the industry we see today, one with sky-high revenues for the largest rights holders and boiling frustrations from songwriters and artists where streaming services are credited for the former and blamed for the latter. Amen, brother. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to be done. And by the way, let's not forget, it is still so cheap and probably too cheap 
for what we pay for music subscription services I agree. right now. To have access it, to you know, 70 million or whatever the number of tracks are today on a DSP, you know, to get that for nine ninety nine a month to me is is just highly underpriced, um, and that's absolutely. that's part of the problem as well. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about Garrett and uh, Dima, um, I did an interview with him. It's episode number four four seven of the Music Biz Weekly podcast. Um, I did that last year. And it's a it's a really great chat. Uh, Garrett is again, you know, he his heart's in the right place, mm-hmm. um, and I think that this isn't an easy problem where you just say, okay, well, we're just going to pay this group more. There there's a lot more value, and there's a lot more stakeholders. And to his point, we need to just get to the table and have these conversations. Without a doubt, absolutely. Well, excellent reading and and good. Um, just things to ponder because there are lots of things that need to be worked out. And as he points out, you know, but it's got to be involved with everybody at the table. So hopefully yep. that can, we'll get a little closer to that. Nicely done. Uh, well, well, Jay, our last article is from Polestar. The future is now major tours are here. And, yeah. uh, that is so true. Boy, it's, it's so exciting to be back and to be at live shows. And we've both been at a few different live shows yeah. ourselves in the last few weeks, couple of months. Yeah. And I'm planning on more. And it's, but it's, boy, there is a rush to get out there by artists, aren't they? They are ready to get and start playing and start making money. For yeah. Out. This piece was written by Bob Allen over at Polestar. And if you're not aware mm-hmm. of Polestar, it's really the industry, the touring industry kind of Bible um, th- this publication is is absolutely amazing if you want to know what's going on in the world of live shows. But they also have on their website these guides that you can purchase. You know, one might be the artist management guide, and one might be with record labels, and one might be publishing. And they're just um, one of those resources that we use every single day, and they're so valuable. Yes. And I, I read Polestar. Um, because they they have their finger on the pulse of the live concert uh, industry. Anyway, this absolutely. Is really and even if you are just a fan of music and want to go see who's coming to concert, you can look up your city, you can look up a venue, and see easily what's coming to town. Yeah. And uh, and see how and they I did. S- right, you can kind yes. of take a look, yeah. and you know, where are these tours sold out? You know, you know, what's the capacity, and and what are they, uh, what are they doing as far as butts in the seats? But what's really interesting, and we'll dig into it in uh, in this article, is the amount of revenue that some of these artists oh, are making. Um, yes. He points out that the state of concert touring in any given year in North America traditionally begins uh, to take form and gain strength as more and more artists hit the road You know, with the onset of spring. Um, mm-hmm. This year, the tradition has returned in full force You know, with a bustling slate of touring artists already headlining concerts during the first two months of 2022. So let's, let's dig into some of those because these numbers, I don't know about you, Mike, but some of these numbers, uh, especially the bad bunny one, which we'll get into in a second, <laughs> it's just stunning, like stun. Yeah. It yeah. blew my mind. Well, let's talk about Bad Bunny, because as it says, of all the artists that, that, that are in this article, Bad Bunny's on track to rank as one of the most impactful touring artists this year, based on box office results during the first two months of 2022. <laughs> as of press time, ticket counts and gross tallies have been reported for 13 shows at 10 venues on his El Ultimo, Ultimo Tour de Mundo, a jaunt that launched on February 9th in just one month. 
check this out. His tour has been seen by almost 200,000 fans, while combined grosses from all shows land just over $39 million. In a month. Whoa. In a month. Yeah, in just one month. His highest grossing venue on the trek so far, which is the Forum, just in, not in our far backyard. from us. In, in, yeah. yeah, in our backyard. That recorded a gross of $9.3 million from 32,000, a little over 32,000 tickets sold in just in two consecutive nights back in, uh, starting in February, on February 25th. Uh, currently, it is the top grossing concert engagement by any artist of any genre since the beginning of January, according to reported box office records. <laughs> Dude, that is a ton of money. Wow, thirty-nine million gross. Yeah, nine point three million in two nights at the Forum. You know, thirty-nine million in a month, and that's you know the two hundred thousand fans. That is impressive. You know, he talks about Billie Eilish. You know, she's now a headlining artist, you know, mm-hmm. with her, you know, Where Do We Go world tour was planned for 2020. Then it was, you know, interrupted by COVID-19 after like three concerts. Um, so now it's the Happier Than Ever tour, which began February 3rd in New Orleans and is booked in arenas worldwide. You know, and, and although she played some arenas, you know, from the last tour, prior to that, she had appeared primarily in smaller venues um, for live shows. So uh, the 2020 tour, you know, um, was right after she had won, you know, four Grammys and was really starting to establish herself. Um, but this is going to be another one of those big revenue generators uh, with with six recent days reported from the Happier Than Ever uh, tour. Her best box office numbers were recorded at Washington's Capital One Arena on February 9th with a crowd of just over 13,000 people and a $1.67 million gross. Sold uh, ticket averages from her reported 22 event shows, 12,408 sold seats per concert, while her gross average, $1.48 million. Um, a sharp contrast to the 2019 where it was under $500,000 average um, that's some real money. And I'd be happier than ever as well if I was making that kind of money on, on her Happier Than Ever tour. <laughs> We've also got Dua Lipa out. She's out with her future nostalgia trek. Uh, began with a sold-out debut performance at Miami's FTX Arena. Opening night crowd, about a little over 14000 Gross of $1.56 She, like Eilish, also had an ill-fated 2020 tour in the works that ultimately had to be rescheduled three times. Wow. The original itinerary featured only European dates, but since the initial tour announcement in 2019, tour legs were added in North and South America, as well as Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So, what did she make? Let's see. She uh, combined she, seven uh, first, show gross. You see it there. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. So, uh, total count of ninety-two thousand tickets so far. Uh, tours combined seven show gross totals eight point seven eight million dollars. Wow. Yeah. That's let, not let, so me, bad. let me just resonate on that for a second. Ninety-two thousand <laughs> tickets sold, and yeah. almost nine million dollars. You know, and there's a couple of other. We'll we'll run through a few other these artists because I think they're important. You know, Casey Musgraves, you know, for example, uh, set her 2022 uh, tour dates with a performance at Excel Energy Center. That's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Six of her shows have been reported at this point, including a sold out evening at Madison Square Garden, um, and. That February 5th concert drew 14,370 fans with a gross of over $1.7 million. 
<laughs> so we've got Kane Brown, we've got Eric Church, we've got Tyler the Creator, we've yeah. got Billy Joel, we've got Reba McIntyre, and don't forget the big kahuna out there, Sir Elton John's Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. Basically, remember he had to cancel a lot of dates. It returned yeah. on January 19th, 10, uh, with dates scheduled over 10 U.S. cities, first two months of 2022. Uh, so, And that tour is going to go for another two years, I think. It's it's going to keep going for yeah, a long time. Yeah, my, uh, my, my buddy Matt is his bass player so i'm kind of watching as these dates come back and uh, i can't wait uh to see uh see the show you know because you know a lot of artists you know kiss elton john whoever a lot of them will say oh this is the final tour but then they do tours after that for for kiss and for elton john i can tell you this is their this is their last tours so um it is going to be fun to go back and and see that. But as you pointed out with Tyler, the creator and Eric church and Kane Brown and some of these others, people are so hungry for live music, you know, and some of these artists, maybe not these top artists, but certainly the indie artists have, you know, been eating sawdust for a year and a half. So let's uh, get out and support them. And when you go to those shows, especially with these indie artists, make sure you you buy a shirt or something Mm -hmm. at the merch table and, and help them out uh, a little bit. Uh, but again, Polestar is the the place to go if you want to find out what's going on with the uh, live concert industry. And I'm just thrilled to see these, uh, these bands all back out. People are going in droves. And as they point out here, there is some revenue to be made. And Bad Bunny, congratulations, brother, because you are killing it. You are killing it. By the way, and also... Excuse me. A lot of residencies happening as well. So you know, if you've, I was just in Vegas not two weeks ago, I guess, and and you're really seeing, you know, and for an artist, you can see how that makes sense. You know, you just kind of roll in and, and you're there for whatever it is amount of time, and it's a lot less wear and tear. You don't have to pack up and reset no. up. You get the you get the sound dialed and the lights dialed, and you're you're golden. You're golden, and you just keep doing it over and over again. So on that note, we do need to wrap it up, Jay. We wrap up episode eighty four of our of the Good Morning Coffee podcast can you believe it 84 man oh man we're getting close man we are getting close to yeah 100. i think you and i were chatting earlier about if things go according to plan i think we'll hit episode 100 right around the end of june maybe the first week of july and yes. we will have a very uh a couple of special announcements before then we have another bonus episode coming up that we're recording in april that we'll tell people about and there will there'll be some Really cool uh, surprises coming, but uh, stay tuned. Absolutely. And I'm um, I can't believe we're at episode eighty four already. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and thanks everyone for listening in and supporting us. We really appreciate it because uh, as much as we like doing this, you know, we couldn't do it unless people were listening in. Yeah. So so big thanks, and of Thank course you. thanks to our sponsors as well. We certainly appreciate their participation, including the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. They. Uh, they make it worth our while every time. So big thanks. And yes, uh, thank you, Jay. Have a wonderful weekend, brother. You too. Good seeing you. All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to episode 84 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.